Faith is one of these things. Um, when I grew up, thanks, Needs. Um, when I grew up, faith was one of, uh, it was a fairly misunderstood thing. It sounded very spooky. People who said they had faith did weird things, right? Like they would sit on their bed and they would prop their pillows in around them and in faith drive their Mercedes that they don't own yet. And I was like, sure, okay. And there was this um, hyper response, I think, to a church that had grown dead and had grown conservative. There was this faith movement that was born of like miracles and, and whatever. And it kind of led, I think, to the prosperity movement in the church eventually, where it's like, God wants you to be rich and have faith. And, you know, he'll triple your salary and give you everything you want. And, and whilst God does want to bless us and God is for us, there was a, a kind of a weird overcorrect in the church. And I want to talk about faith at today, specifically as it, it um, pertains to salvation. But while we talk about it, it also talks about the faith that we experience or the faith we walk in ongoingly in our Christian walk. Our hope is at the end of this that any one of us could take this book and maybe not teach it at the same level that it's been taught, but not be alien to the concepts or the thoughts that are in here, because this is the basic Bible. You know, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 6 says that there's elementary teachings that we should eventually be able to move on from, but it amazes me how often I trip over these so-called elementary things. I forget myself. And so uh, here's the, so we're going to jump in from um, on verse 24 and it says that faith with repentance, right, is the other arm by which we receive the gracious gift of God. If I don't have faith and all I've got is repentance, then what I am in, in a sense is a little bit like the children of Israel in the Old Testament where I didn't know if the lamb that paid the sacrifice was good enough. I just repent, 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 and just hope like hell it worked. But faith is knowing, right? And we'll get into it. But faith is knowing that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for me and living in the knowledge that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough. Look at Romans 5.2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so hope speaks to our future. Faith doesn't so much speak to our future. Faith speaks to our present. It's I'm standing knowing right, that I've received the grace of God. Even though it's an intangible, I know that I've received that grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And here's God's absolute genius in it. If he'd allowed even a little bit of ourselves to contribute towards salvation, we would have been able to score ourselves against each other, right? Because we're all competitive people, Vanna, and Vanna especially. And it's sort of, I'm more of a Christian than you because I contributed more to my salvation. But God comes in his absolute sovereignty and he's like, everything you need for salvation is a gracious gift given by me through gra uh, the grace given but you take hold of it by faith. And that's the most incredible thing that it's possible, right, for God's gift, the grace of God to be made available to us. But because we, we lack faith or because we don't exercise our faith, we, live, we can live outside of that gracious gift of God, right? Um, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
right? And it's not because those words are like some magic spell that you say, and then all of a sudden, Kazam, you're a Christian, but it's, I agree with, I know that to be true. And so that's the faith. I know this to be true, and therefore I am saved. And so here's a great question. So what do I need to have faith in to be saved? What, what is that thing I need to believe in to be saved? What is the starting point? And so this says there's two essential truths that we need to have faith in who Jesus is, number one, that's really important, and what he has done for us. Now that it's, it makes sense, but it, we can very quickly lose sight of that. It, you know, if Jesus is just a man, right, I can have faith in what he did, but if I don't believe in who he is, and also who he is speaks to his character. You know, if you, if I believe God is, or Jesus is um, stingy, and he's selective, and he checks you out for a while before he decides if he likes you or not, it doesn't matter what he's done on the cross, all of a sudden who he is has an impact on what he's done in my life, because I'm not sure if I can receive it. And that's why the knowledge of who God is, an understanding of, and a revelation of his character is as important as an understanding of what he did, because if I if I misunderstand his character, I can't appropriate what he's actually done for me. So exactly who is Jesus? In um, when people ask in Matthew chapter sixteen, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And then Jesus asks Peter. He says, "Who do you say I am?" And Simon Peter answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And guys, that's why for us, the, we spoke about the Trinity a couple of weeks ago. There is an absolute understanding. Jesus himself is God. And it has everything to do with what he's done. Because if he wasn't God, he's not perfect. And if he wasn't perfect, he wasn't able to fulfill the law as we spoke about. And if he wasn't able to fulfill the law, then we're all stuffed because we're going to be still waiting, like the Jews are, for someone to completely fill the law, fulfill the law, the Messiah to come. And so... Do I believe, do I honestly believe that Jesus is the son of God, the perfect son of God in, in all of his ways? And it's the most important question, like this says, knowing and believing who Jesus is, is the greatest revelation we must have. And you can have a read of Colossians 1. It's such a beautiful text. He is the image of the firstborn. So that's talking about who Jesus is. And so we can say Jesus is Jesus in a, um, he is the son of God, but then the implications to that, it means that he is perfect. It means he is immortal. It means he is um, omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. All those truths pertain to the fact that Jesus is who he is. He's the son of God. And it's amazing if I have a, and, and the, I've seen this in my own life. Sometimes the reason I, I struggle in my faith isn't because I don't believe what Jesus did, but it's I, my view of who Jesus is shrinks. And therefore the implications of what he done, he has, he, he done the inf implications of what he has done shrinks in my mind, right? The bigger Jesus is, and the bigger my understanding of him is as God the bigger implications it has for me. And that's why this walk we often talk about, often the end point of every sermon is to know Jesus and to know him more and to grow in our knowledge of him, right? And Paul often prayed that for people, you know, that, I, that the knowledge, that our knowledge of God would increase, that I would know more of who he is and know his heart and, and, and understand him better. 
And so what did Jesus do? Well, he died on the cross. We know that he died on the cross for my sin. And the reason he had to do that, we spoke about the law was there was the sentence waiting to be meted out against mankind. And mankind was living under that sentence. But for that sentence to be fulfilled, see, because whilst man continued to sin and no one had perfectly fulfilled that law, the law was being meted out, right? And it was coming to bear on every single man. The moment you're born, this law is coming to bear on you like this. And it, what it took was for one person to fulfill that law perfectly like Jesus did. And in that moment, the law now for every man coming after Jesus who is hidden in Christ, who Jesus has now paid the price for, that, that um, law no longer is fulfilled in that person. I don't want to say the law no longer applies because the law still does apply. But we've been set free because of what Jesus did. Right? That's why when we spoke about being covered in the robes of righteousness of Jesus, right? The beautiful thing about that is I am now, it's just as if, just as if I had never sinned. When I'm saved and I come to faith in Jesus, I receive everything of what he is over me. And so I am as, a, as perfect before God in God's sight as Jesus is. That's how free I really am. And it's hard to conceptualize, right? Because like we're all aware of our strengths and weaknesses and failings and whatever. But God, when he looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. And then not only did Jesus take, take our place, but he also broke and destroyed the works of the enemy and disarmed the authorities that have their power over mankind. And so the reason I, I mentioned that is, well, one, it's in the book. But the reason it's in the book is because... I see too many Christians, guys, and we're talking about faith here today, too many Christians believing that there is a second move of God that is necessary after we get saved. There's something else. Salvation wasn't enough. And so I've seen ministries built on deliverance. I've seen guys like, oh, you got saved, but now what you need is some ghost busting to go on and, and you've got to go dig, dig out every cranny and nook and find every spiritual thing. I'm not saying that we don't have spiritual oppression and I'm not saying that in the future, there might not be some stuff where God reveals stuff to us and shows it to us. But the moment we get saved, we have received all we need for life and godliness. You are free. So when a Christian, and I, I hear Christians saying this all the time, I, I heard it this morning from someone at the church here, like we're just really being attacked by the devil at the moment. And we're really under the pump at the moment. And he's, he's just running riots at the moment. And I'm like, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about that you feel like you're under attack. But the response is not to go and have a, a go at the enemy and go try beat him again. The response is in faith to know that in Jesus, he already defeated all the works of the enemy. See, if I'm going to go pick the fight myself with the enemy, I'm no longer living in the faith that I've received from Christ and what Jesus has done. I'm trying to go create my own space, which is the same as me trying to earn my own forgiveness, right? It's legalism all over again. My deeds will set me free. And there's a lot of Christians running around trying to pick a spiritual battle as well. I'm like, it's exactly the same thing. And just by the way, you pick your own spiritual battle with the enemy, you're going to get a snot club because he's bigger than you, right? In Jesus, we are covered and we have all authority. Outside of Jesus, not so much <laughs> at all. And so there's this incredible, also what Jesus has done on the cross. And so when we are dealing with um, temptation, when we are dealing with where we feel like we're being attacked, when we feel like things are coming against us, we remind the enemy 
and we remind ourselves of this thing in Colossians 2.10. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. Rather than trying to beat the enemy to prove our authority, we remind them of the authority that we've been given in Christ. That's faith, guys. And I'd love to see the church where we begin to stand again on this incredible finished work of what Jesus has done, rather than trying to like sword fight and Captain Jack Sparrow. Right, then after that, right, not only did Jesus die for us to break the power of the enemy, but then he was buried and he was raised again. And that's incredibly important for us because if Jesus only died and broke the power of the enemy, then that's what we would have access to. But Jesus was also raised again into new life. And it's one of the things we also forget, right, sometimes as a Christian, that when I get saved, I receive this new life. But not only here on earth, one day we're going to be in heaven with Jesus for eternity. And Jesus was raised again in the sight of mankind to remind us the same is going to happen to you. There is a spiritual body waiting for you. There is an eternity of glory and in the presence of God that's waiting for you. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And Jesus even told his disciples, I'm going ahead of you to prepare rooms and places for you. The condo, you know, whatever the thing is that you, you know, like I've gone ahead to prepare a place for you. And I think there's something incredibly powerful in understanding this faith that we have in Christ isn't only faith for today, it's a hope for tomorrow, but I have faith that God has my future in his hands. I don't need to live stressing and worrying about that stuff. Jesus has that in, in his hands, right? Where I'm going to live. If you'd said to me um, a few years ago, um, if, if, if you'd said to me a, a few years ago that I would... Um, be living in Johannesburg and leading a church in Johannesburg, I would have said to you, there's no ways. I live in the Midlands. I catch trout. I'm an outside guy. We live on a farm. It's awesome. I didn't have to worry about living in Johannesburg. You know why? Because I knew Jesus had my future in his hands. By faith, wherever he takes me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have space for. And so as God opens the door, we're able to walk into those things and not. And then also talking about beyond the grave and talking about beyond like after I die. He's got that. So let's talk about this faith, right? This character of faith that enables me to be saved. So someone said this, told the story. It's a story of a tightrope walker who pushed a wheelbarrow backwards and forwards across a rope between two buildings. And everyone's like, Woo! the crowds were amazed. And he did it many more times. After a while, he challenged the crowd and asked if they believe he could do it again. Yes, they all shouted, right? Then he goes, awesome. Can I have a volunteer to come and do it with me? And at that point, no one put up their hands. You see, faith is for me. It's not for others. Faith is me taking hold of what God has done for me. It's very easy for me to have faith for others because if it doesn't work out, there's no implications for me. It's very easy for me to give faithful full advice to everybody else. But what about my life? Living out this, this issue of faith. I love what is written here. Faith is a confidence in the heart based on God's word. It is not a conclusion in my mind based on fact. It's not academic. The moment we start weighing up the positives and negatives and we start weighing up the cost benefit ratio friends we've moved out of a realm of faith altogether and now we're in walking by sight and, and there's times to do that 
But when it comes to living out our Christian walk, we need to know what God has said first, right? And we respond to God's word in faith. Faith is not an acknowledgement of truth. Truth is true. You know, I love it. I love it where Jesus, oh, I, can't, I don't know if it was Jesus who said it somewhere in scripture. The Bible says, I hate saying that. But anyway, the Bible does say where, um, uh, I think it might have been Paul, where he, he says, you say, like, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. He says, even the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God and shudder. I love the little caveat at the end there. They also, they shudder after they believe that. But to believe that truth is true doesn't make you a Christian. doesn't mean that you're living a life of faith, right? Like truth is truth, no matter what. It's what we do with it. It's not acknowledging truth, but it's a dependence, a reliance, and even an abandonment, if you like, to truth. That I will build my life on this rock, and this rock will stand if I build my life on it. I love what Simon, Simon Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is like a career fisherman talking to a carpenter. Like, dude, like if we were sitting here making a table, then maybe you've got scope to talk. But I've been fishing my whole life here. Now you tell me to let the nets down on the other side. Like, this isn't carpentry or woodwork, you know? But because you say so, because you've said so, we will. And I think it's a beautiful response to us. And so let's talk about these things of how we respond and how we take hold of this. Like, what does faith actually look like? We need to receive. We need to receive. And can I be honest, guys? Some of us really struggle with that because we prefer to give because it puts us in a position of strength. I like to be the one giving. If it be advice, I even like giving gifts because... I mean, I like, I'm a, I just like giving gifts, but what I'm saying is it, when I give things, I've, you're in a position of um, looking good, right? Let's talk about that giant from this morning, like hectic, eh? But you're in a position of looking good, but when you're receiving, right, you just look needy, <laughs> right? Like Oliver was like, please, sir, can I have some more? Like you don't look awesome receiving, but if you don't receive, you can't live by faith. Because faith is receiving from God and going to him daily to receive from him. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Next, a calling out to God. How can they call out to the one they have not believed in? Friends, this is the importance of prayer. Like prayer is, uh, I feel like prayer has become like almost an, a thing on its own. Prayer is not a noun, it's a verb. You know, prayer is not a thing that you do. Prayer is a person that you speak to. And when we call out to Jesus, right, we connect to the one in whom we have faith. If I, if I don't reach out to someone, what on earth have I got faith in? I have faith in Jesus, the living word, right? I call out to God and then I confess. It is with your heart you believed and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so for us, like the confession part of it is, is do I agree with what God has said about something? And it's incredibly important, friends, sometimes even important to say stuff out loud. And that sounds weird, but do you believe that God is your provider? Do I believe that God has saved me? Do I believe that my sins have been washed away? Yes, I do. Do I believe that God has my future in his hands? Yes, I do. Do I believe 
that he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for me. Yes, I believe these things. And I think it's very easy up to this point. I can call out, I can receive, but confession is the agreement with God that what he has said is true. And it's, it's often interesting to me that that crisis is where we, where we fall off the bus because I want to receive the truth. I call out to God, but at the point where it comes to agreeing with what God has said, that's where we lose it. Because I, there's a million other voices telling me other things. Where God says, I'm going to provide for you that, you're, that you will never beg bread under, you know, while, I, while you are my child and I'm your father. And then, you know, retrenchment or I don't know, whatever the situations you're facing. And then we begin to panic instead of saying, Lord, I believe, I confess with my mouth that I believe that what your word says is true. And then lastly, um, on that one is an obedience. An obedience. Because again, we said you can get to the promised land, man. You can see the giant, you can see everything, you can be in the right place, you can have everything lined up. But if you never go over that river and pick a fight, you're never gonna see it. And ultimately it's it boils down to obedience, not calling. Right? God commanded it, so I choose to go over. And I'm obedient to what God says. So what does that look like? You know, on the ground, it means that there's some stuff in my behavior that I do and some stuff that I don't do, right? That I choose to believe what God's word has said, what God's word says is true. And I think some of those behaviors are coming to God in faith. Sorry, I've got hiccups. Um, coming to God in faith and saying to him, when I pray to him, it shows where my heart is at. I'm praying these Oliver Twist prayers. It shows it's, it's not a it's not faith in my heart. I'm begging. I'm sitting looking in through the window like an orphan. And God's like, no, sit at the table and talk to me like my child. And speak to me and you know, live in that space. Be obedient. So it's a way of life. And I think that's really helpful. Faith is not a departure point. It's not just where I head off from and then live my own life from that point. It is planted and grows in our lives through receiving the word of God in its many forms. And guys, one of the things I, I love to do, I, I've been so caught up a couple of weeks ago when I was studying, um, I don't know what sermon we were preaching, but we read about to him who overcomes, you know, they'll get all this different stuff. And I'd never seen it before. It was the first time I'd ever seen where it said he will be given some of the hidden manna. And I'm like, hey, God, like, I want to be that guy. Like, I want you to tell me things from your word that you've never told anybody else before. Like, I want hidden manner. I want to I hear amazing things. I want to look in your word and go, no freaking ways. I can't tell anyone about this because I don't fully understand it, but it's amazing. Like, wow. I want you to show me who you are. I want you to show me your ways. I want you to show me your heart and your help me understand what it means to know you. And so I get super excited about that stuff. Um, and and that's, that's this journey of faith, right? That as I hear God's word, I, I see different aspects of who he is and it begins to shape me by faith responding to God's word. So that's faith. And it has to be distinguished from feelings. I don't, it, the number of times in my life, faith has been on this side and feelings has been on the polar opposite side is most of the time, right? My feelings follow my observations. They don't follow my faith. And so my observations and, and what I see through my eyes or what I hear through my ears, what people are saying, that kind of stuff shapes me so much. And so it's a discipline to begin to shape my life around faith. What has God said? 
versus so when it comes to loving my wife or loving my kids, when it comes to integrity at work, when it comes to all these different facets of my life, right? I've got all these voices in my ears when it comes to speaking badly about the country and speaking oh, all kinds of stuff, right? My ears and eyes are just seeing stuff. And God goes, are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by sight? And it's tricky. I'm just saying it's tricky. So, so let's talk about the way. This, the, the way of salvation. Salvation is given not because we are epic. I wish I could say salvation is given because you are a ninja and you deserved it and you did some good stuff and because you did, you get the salvations. You get all the salvations. It, it unfortunately doesn't happen like that. Salvation is given us by God's grace. Because he chose us, because he said that he said, you epic <laughs> and I love you and I'm for you. And this salvation that I have is for you. It is given because of God's grace over us. Now, that does make us rather powerless in the, um, in the transaction. It doesn't stroke my ego very much. But the beautiful thing about it is it was given to me. And it was extended to me when I was at my absolute worst, which means it's always extended to me. God's grace is always available to me, no matter when, no matter where. Thank God that all this, all the, all the reach around grace is from his side. Thank God that I didn't find Jesus. There was a song we used to sing a few years ago in the church, I Found Jesus. It's, I don't have an issue with many Christian songs, but that one I do because it's bulldust. He came and found me, right? He led circumstance. He set it up. I am a result of the biggest setup job in history, right? And so are you. God has been working in the background to win you, to love you. He's been working situations and working people and working circumstance to win you to himself by his grace, his love for humanity was demonstrated at the cross. We're on page 28. It is received by repentance and faith. The Bible refers to the entering into the salvation as new birth or being born again. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, who was a um, uh, Pharisee in John 3 says, in reply, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And so this is the amazing thing, right? Like if we just entered, if you think about this, if we just entered a club, you had joined Heaven PTY LTD limited welcome to the club sign here you're one of the directors now you're part of the club like you can be signed out like you can fire a director it's tricky but you can do it like you can get rid of people but god says to us no no, no. what happened to you was you were literally dead in your sins and the holy spirit comes and makes your spirit alive like this miracle it's like more amazing than growing a third leg that's what happens here, right? You have this miracle that happens, and now your spirit, which was dead, is now alive inside of you. And you're like, whoa, 
I see dead people. No, that's from the movie. But what I'm saying is like, I can see things. I can hear God. My spirit is alive. My conscience is alive. Now it's pricking me. I'm like, whoa, something is different. God has performed the miracle of new birth on me by faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. In 1 Peter 1, 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead when he came out of the tomb isn't only a picture of when we ourselves right, will one day be raised to go be with him in heaven in, in our spiritual bodies, but it's also a sign that we ourselves are raised to new life in Christ when we come to faith in Jesus. And that same spirit that raised Jesus, and so the Bible teaches that that same spirit, that same power that was at work in Jesus when he lay there dead and he came forth, alive came forth, getting more spiritual here, came out of the tomb, hallelujah. When he did that, that same spirit that was alive in him took hold of you and me. When I said, Jesus, I choose you, Lord, I, I give my life to you. I Everything I have is yours, Lord. I now am yours. I, I am dead. I'm, I'm sorry for living my life my way. I put my life in your hands. At that moment, the spirit of God, the same spirit, takes hold of my spirit. I'm made alive. It's like the most mind-blowing truth. We didn't just join the club. So what does it look like on, on the ground, this new spiritual life that I'm walking in where I can see things? Like the amazingness of it. Well, to better understand this new birth, new life, which is spiritual, it's helpful to compare it to natural birth. And that's got a bit of a comparison here. So let's look at natural birth, first of all. While we're on earth, you need to be born, right? Life requires birth, right? You cannot be alive unless you are born. This sounds really, really simple, but it is, right? Just go with me for a second, Joe. Whether you were a C-section or you were a natural birth, like our kids, and they come out like little cone heads, you had to be born, right? Secondly, for there to be birth, there had to be some kind of relationship between two people, right? Even if it was just a physical relationship for a moment, something had to happen. There had to be a relationship that gave birth to that, that um moment and then which eventually gave um, birth to the birth if you follow me there birth is a definite experience if you ask any of the ladies in the room requiring both both will so cindy's sitting next to me both will and effort right i want this thing to come out and i'm going to push it out and it's there's a lot of all kinds of things that are going on around birth but this is the thing Despite the beauty of that birth, the moment that child is born, even before that child is born, we know that it is everyone's destiny in the flesh, our human bodies, our natural bodies. It is our end that we will die one day. Right? That growing up is hastening the day, which will no longer be on earth, right? Our seed, everything about us in, in the carnal, in our, in our flesh, is perishable. That's the word that we use. It's it's, it's like the notches that you see at um, at the shop after they've been left there for a little bit. Like all of us eventually will go the way of the notches, <laughs> where the seed is perishable. And the Bible says that that state that we live in, right, is 
We have a dead spirit and our body is soon to die. And guys, can I say this? Like we live with that as our reality as human beings, but it wasn't God's intention that it should be that way. God's intention was that we should be live with him forever and that we shouldn't live afraid of death. All this stuff, and it's unfortunate that because of the law and because of mankind's state, we have begun to consider those things the norms. You know what I mean? Like, and I think in a season like this, where, where maybe people that we've known have, have passed away, it's very, very real to us. And a lot of people are afraid at the moment because this I realize how perishable I really, really am. The Bible defines this dead spirit with a soon-to-die body as death. It's, it describes that state of life as death. In Colossians 2.13, Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave our sins. And so the difference between, like, that's why I think we said it a few weeks ago. When someone goes, that person there would make such a good Christian. It's probably the dumbest statement you can make because what does that even mean? Because what is the difference between a Christian and not a Christian? Not a Christian. It's got nothing to do with deeds. It has to do with someone who is dead. Their spirit is dead and their body is soon to die. A Christian has been made alive in Christ. There's a miracle that's happened. And they now have this incredible relationship adopted into God's family. I don't know how you can see that from what somebody does in their life. But it doesn't matter how much money they give to the poor. In fact... You go look in scripture, it says, you can give, if I give all I have to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, all of that stuff, and I have not love, it means absolutely nothing. And that's the crazy thing. Outside of Christ, even our best works, the Bible teaches, are like filthy rags. So none of it means anything other than our relationship with Jesus. And so for this legacy of death to end and for life to begin, the spirit of man needs to be born again because it's dead, right? So let's have a look at the spiritual life and go through that same list that we went through. Life requires birth. And the reason we're going through this deliberately, friends, is because I think we forget the miracle of salvation. This, the spirit that was made alive in me when I came to faith in Jesus. I was, I was born. And that birth required a relationship as well. Right? Between God and me. Between the Holy Spirit and my spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and makes my spirit alive. Birth is a definite experience requiring both effort and will. We don't just slide into heaven. It requires faith. It requires me to lay down my life. Lord, I give you everything. It's effort and will. Not everyone in the world is saved. Not everybody is a Christian. It doesn't work like that. But the change the difference is this that the seed and its fruit are imperishable the thing that is born again is not our bodies that's where nicodemus gets it wrong because if it, if at salvation our bodies were born again we would be immortals and then we would all have swords and be trying to cut each other's no sorry that was highlander sorry wrong <laughs> but we would we would be immortal like adam and eve again but there is a promise and that's the amazing thing that when i'm saved my spirit is made alive, right? And I, in the future, I have life waiting for me. This physical body I live in has death waiting for it, but I have a new spiritual body waiting for me one day. 
So both the seed and its fruit are imperishable. And that seed is God's word, which is germinated through the Holy Spirit. And so how does this birth affect me? Well, bah, in an instant, my spirit is reborn. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Because some of us need to tattoo that on our eyeballs. Because we read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, we are a new creation. I'm still struggling with the old. And one day the new will come. But guys, it's not true. You are a new creation. You know all those spooks and all the stuff that happened to you when you were growing up, the stuff. And some of us have suffered horrific stuff while we were growing up. Others of us have been through trauma and all kinds of stuff in our life. But the moment we get saved, we are dead to that stuff. It's gone. That's why we believe in baptism. And Anita is going to talk about that in a few weeks' time. It's going to be amazing. But baptism, right, says, I am dead to that stuff. And when the enemy comes to rattle our chain and say, yeah, but John, you used to be a, you were a drug addict, you know, so be careful. You know, you take too many disparate brew and you're going to be selling your kids to the Nigerians before you know it. Like, I can remind them, and no, no slur to you if you're from Nigeria or you know any people from Nigeria. It's just my, my baggage here. But... Oh, look, I hope this, this is being recorded. Oh, damn. Okay. Respect to Nigerians and the flag. Um, but when the enemy comes to remind me of my past, I can say to him, because I got baptized in a dam with leeches in it. It was slimy. I can say to him, listen, you want to talk to that guy, who that drug addict guy, you want to talk to him. He's buried in a dam out somewhere near Greytown because I'm no longer that person. Right? I've been set free. I'm new in Christ. That's why baptism is so important. Be like, get baptized, man. It's a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. And you'll be able to remind. And so there's all kinds of, there's our swimming pool at our house. We baptize so many people. There's so many spiritual corpses floating around in that place, right? It's like a hive of activity. The point is that it was a line drawn in the sand. I am now new. I have been birthed again in Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Um, Ephesians 4 says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Guys, like we have the mind of Christ now. We have the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think the enemy, I mean, his attack always against us and his, his lies and deception because it's all he's got left. And so what he tries to do is make us forget that. And he makes us, even though we are children, he tries to make us live like orphans. And even though we have authority, he gets to try and make us fight battles which Jesus has already won on our behalf. And, and so much of our overcoming and living in this new birth our, our response is always to run to Jesus, to be hidden in him and to do warfare and to fight from that place of being in Christ and let him fight on our behalf. Um, I think when I'm struggling or, or something is against me, I feel like I'm under attack. Jesus, instead of like, you know, Satan, I bind you to the end of the age, you know, and I glue you to the wall of my, you glue you to my toilet door or whatever your spiritual thing is. It's not... Lord Jesus, I come to you, and Lord, I know that you have won the victory. I know that you've won the victory for me. Your word promises me that. 
Lord, by faith, I take hold of that victory in my life already. Right? This incredible, no longer conform to the pattern of this world. And then secondly, and this is really good for some of us who've had a tricky lockdown and we've changed shape somewhat. Um, I, that's why I always do this on the camera at the moment. I'm like, if I could go lower, I would. But in the future, my body will be replaced with a new imperishable one. I would love to think, and maybe that's just me on a Sunday afternoon, and it's been a long weekend of ministry, so my brain's wandering a little bit, but I'd love to know if we could pick our bodies, you know, when we get to heaven. Hmm, I'd like one of those or one of these. Maybe we could um, choose them depending on the activity ahead. But the point is, we have a new imperishable body, and not only a new imperishable body, but we have a new imperishable eternity. Friends, I sometimes think about that, and I, I don't have half enough brain power to even begin to conceptualize. No more tears, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more confusion. For some of us, guys, living with the mental stress, no more loneliness, you know, living with just the stress on our minds of, of what tomorrow brings, the anxiety of the season that we're in in the world around us at the moment, all of that washed away in absolute contentment, living in the perfect will of God, right? With no barrier of creatureliness between us and him, being able to know him at every level, be able to walk with him. And the, and the Bible teaches that there's gonna be stuff for us to do, there's cities to rule over, there's gonna be a new creation Right, and we're going to talk about that. We'll do. We said we're going to do an end time series at some stage. But like, it's so incredible to know that there's this incredible hope in a future that is made available to us in this new body that will be made available to us because of what Jesus did at the cross, and we take hold of all of this by faith. And so, one Corinthians fifteen says, "So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable; it is raised imperishable." Bodies are sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so my encouragement to us, guys, that's the end of today's um, session. But my encouragement to us is, what are we going to choose to live in? Because I, I do feel like um, there was this... It's, it's a bit graphic, but I'm going to go there anyway. There was this um, serial killer called Ed Gein, and he dug up his mom's body, and then wanted, he had like all kinds of problems with his head, and he wanted, he wanted to get his mom back, so he tried to make a doll out of his mom's body. And I know it sounds very graphic and weird, but just go with me for a second on this, because I think many of us, what we do is we go and dig up our old person because we feel more comfortable with him than we do with the person that Christ is trying to make us into. And maybe that shocking picture of old Ed Gein and his stuffed mom can stick in our heads because it's, it's, it is macabre and it is bizarre and it's not nice and it's gross. But friends, so is digging up our old selves. And we do it all the time. You know, oh, but I'm a this person. I'm a that person. No, I was a that person and I was a that person. But in Christ, I am free. In Christ, I've been set free. In Christ, I have a hope and a future. In Christ, I no longer am a slave to fear. We sing it all the time, right? This is who I am in Christ. I'm no longer that person. 